Welcome to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. Every week, she's bringing inspiring guests to help you embrace motherhood the cool mom way. Emily knows firsthand being a mom is hard AF, but she's passionate that doesn't need to be the end of the story. Shift your perspective on what it means to be a mom while learning practical tips and mom hacks you can use right away. Stay you while nailing the mom game. That's what being a cool mom is all about. Class is now in session. Here's your host, Emily Kylo. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome back to Cool Mom 101. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are at episode 18, and this one is with Bobby from Mint Integrative Health. And this one, this is a good one, people. So we recorded this before the uh, COVID era. (laughs) So it's kind of interesting because we actually talk about some things you can do to help keep yourself from getting sick. And these are still very applicable. (laughs) So for this episode, which I think you all are going to love, we talk about the gifts that women have of intuition and connection and why we need to support women's health, things you can do to help stay healthy, like I mentioned, and these really apply right now. The main infertility and fertility kind of struggles he's seeing now and his path to becoming a naturopathic doctor. So I could really sit here and talk to Bobby all day long. He is such a wealth of knowledge and information and has such a great way of distilling it. And he's always up on the latest research. uh, So I love it. So I hope you all really enjoy this episode. As always, let me know what you think and sending so much love your way. This is episode 18 with Bobby from Mint Integrative Health. Welcome to the show. Thank, thank you. you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. I think it's so great that you're doing this. Well, thanks. And anything cool, mom, I'm in. Awesome. Yeah. So I'll start with um, just some opening questions here. Mm-hmm. What do you love most about your mom? So I was just saying this to you that I think it's super great and refreshing that I'm even being asked this question. <laughs> and uh, when I saw that that was even a question, I almost started tearing up. Um because I don't often think about that, and like you're like, oh right. And my mom has a um, incredibly uh, difficult story. Uh, her life story is really hard, and for anybody to hear it, um, it is like it just makes you want to cry. Like, and because I was there for most of it, she's still alive, uh, and she's in her seventies. But um, she's lived a really tough life, and. Some of that is severe mental illness. Um, She has schizophrenia, which I wasn't aware of uh, growing up. I just thought my mom was really racist. (laughs) There you go. She's just quirky and racist. "Mm, Of course it's normal to stare outside of the window for four hours at a time, seeing who's in the cul-de-sac just in case they break into the house. (laughs) And I was just like... That's just your norm. That's just our... And so I eventually learned that she has this mental illness. And then Mm -hmm. she also has... um, some pretty serious physical health concerns, um, which also her mental health didn't allow for her to seek care for because she was so paranoid about being murdered 
Um, and none of us knew while we were growing up that that was the reason. We just thought, wow, she really doesn't like doctors. <laughs> and, right. And even I grew up, I, I was born with a kidney disease, and she refused to allow for me. I was in chronic pain my entire life until I was 12, uh, until I then started hemorrhaging blood out of my penis. And fun story, y'all. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then finally my Shit. dad like just grabbed me and took me to the hospital because he was like, this is enough. Uh, but we didn't realize that it was her illness that was preventing her from, like, mothering me. Yeah. But then we realized, I was like, no, no, she's, like, hyper-mothering me. She's protecting me yeah. to an extreme. And that it's not that she's not being my mom. Mm. It's that she's, like, overkill momming. And that her illness is feeding her these ideas that something's going to happen to my child Somebody's going to come in, grab him, check the cul-de-sac to make sure. The doctors are going to kill him because they, who knows what thoughts were going to mind. She was just hyper-momming it. Like, it was, the dial was turned up. Yeah. And once I realized that, I stopped blaming her for, like, you prevented me from not having pain for 12 years. And you prevented me from not, and I was like, no, wait a minute. She was just... Looking out for me, but that's the only way she knew how to yes. in the constraints of her illness. And that led me um, to see her in such a different way that I was just like, like, I just cry thinking about it. And normally I think some some people would think of it differently and just really resent and and, and that. But I, I think that it's um, a manifestation of love that when I tell people, if you saw beyond her physical constraints like she's quite obese and she has a lot of pain all the time and she can't really get out of bed and she's kind of in bed for about 22 hours a day and like her life is not great um but she is like literally a ball of love like all she has is love she's vegan she won't even if you blew a at a fly she would be like what are you doing like what that's what what did that fly do to you she's just all love and I think that she is unfortunately constrained by her human form um, mm -hmm. but her spirit is a giant oh yeah. that is a really hard story but good for you for coming to see it in a different light because a lot of people I think do hold on yeah. to like resentments and don't ever um, kind of look outside of their own experience too Right? Like, just thinking of how your experience was, yeah. you were looking at it as, like, well, how she was experiencing it as well. I think when you come to realize that the system and the culture that we live in help brew this kind of problem, because I don't know this for sure, but because I work in the profession that I do and I get to see so much, I think for a lot of people, um, for a lot of women this culture isn't a safe space from a healthcare perspective, from a societal perspective. Like we're desperately trying to make it a safe space for women, but it isn't. And there is rampant sexism in everything. And I think that's probably what created her a lot of her problems. Like she was a girl in village India, in northern India in the 40s. And that was probably horrifying. <laughs> that was probably terrible. Yeah. And then she moved to a strange country and had to sort of navigate um, being this originally village life-minded person to now this, like, big city life in a strange country where there was not many people like her at the time. And so I think all of that 
impacts and influences, but then you enter as a woman, you have some health concerns, you're probably just like, oh, I'll go talk to my doctor about, like, my thoughts, maybe. Like, maybe I'm depressed. And then we know what happens to those kind of people. They just get pilled Medicated. and poked. And nobody really tries to find out, really. Like, we, we don't take women very seriously. And so a lot of that informed why I think it's so important that we take women seriously and that women take themselves seriously a lot of times it was like oh I have this like this I don't know this symptom. little thing yeah <laughs> and the minimizing yeah totally right? it really is because there's just so many people who don't listen to them and so what's the point of even bringing it up if you're not and then some some women are hyper vigilant for other people right but not necessarily for themselves um and that, that's, I think, just motherism, and so that's part of it, but not necessarily for themselves. And so I think that her life has allowed me to see things um, a little differently. Absolutely. So when you think about your mom and things you used to enjoy, cause it sounds like you don't do as much um, outside of the house probably now because she can't. Mm. What was your favorite kind of, like, thing to do with your mom? Um... um <laughs> So my mom breastfed me till I was, I think, four. Yeah. Uh, so one of my favorite things to do, even if I was, and even now, uh, I'm 40. <laughs> this is not going where you think it's going. Uh, <laughs> is to just, like, lay with her. Uh, yeah. It's something about her body uh, is... I don't know. I don't know how to describe well, it's, it. It's, it's just like your mother's body. Yeah, and you think of it... Well, I think of it now because I have a son, too, and it's like... You're kind of the home. Like oh, you totally. literally yeah. were. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And then <laughs> even yeah, even me as an, like, an adult, I still to this day would always like prefer my mom. Like, sorry, dad. Yeah. But like, you know, you totally. just and so I can totally see that. Yeah, I feel like it's just her physical body, the way she hugs you, the way that she touches you is like nobody else yes. does it that way it's a different energy yeah absolutely right yeah and that is still your favorite. something that i can rely on you yeah. know like, be like i can go see her and then i know that i'm gonna get that thing that nobody else can provide it's that love and that kind of different energy yeah and mm-hmm. i i will never know what that feels like i have a dog and i've asked her i was like <laughs> like could it be possible that the way i feel about my dog is similar to the way that you feel about me. And she's like, are you, like, is that a joke? <laughs> she's like, no, like, there's no way. She says, I can't describe what it feels like to be a mother and what energies you feel towards this other being because before I had you and my sisters, she would have never understood any of that. Mm-mm. And so when, a, when I, especially when I meet a new mom, I'm always just like, I always ask like, so what's it like? Because <laughs> like, I'll never the, know that. I'll never yeah, know that. I just love your curiosity around those mm. kind of things. So it's really cool to hear. And it is unlike anything you could really describe. I think like I find it would find it hard to even describe, yeah. but it is. It's something unique. It. Yeah. And that's probably what makes it so special in that only this, this relationship is going to, and you know, of course, evolution is part of it that allowed for um, us to care so much for this being and yes. keep them alive and thrive and that. survive. We need that. But then <laughs> yeah. I think there's more. I think there's more than that there. Absolutely. Okay, last one of the opening ones okay. here. Finish this sentence. My mom is pure unconditional love. Oh, like, and 
innocence. There's nobody more innocent than this human being. I mean, if you ever met her, you just... Anytime somebody meets her, they're just like, oh, my God. There's this, there's this woman in southern India who's... I think they, she's called the Hugging Mother. And, like, people go to her, and there's just line, lineups of people... And she's this maternal energy. I forget her her name, um, but it just lines up some people, and they, when they hug her, they just bawl. And and there's this documentarian who was like, I want to go see the hugging mother, and then was like, I'm a. She basically said, I'm like a cold bitch. I'm like a robotic bitch, and she's not going to be able to like. And she's just what she is. She's a journalist, and she just bawled her eyes out. And she's like, and she's like, I couldn't explain what came over me. And there's something about that that I feel like towards my mom, like there's this mm. powerful innocence about her that you can you can feel. So I think actually not love, innocence. There's an innocence. Innocence. There. Yeah. Wow. That's really beautiful. Oh, thank you. That's her. Yeah. So I think probably a lot of what you've already talked about will lead well into this. Mm. And a couple of listeners have this question too. Mm. So how did you get into naturopathic medicine? My own health story, um, the kidney ah. stuff was terrible um I empathize so much with people in pain because all I knew was just like imagine kidney stone pain for 12 years from birth until you're 12 all the time and nobody could figure you out because nobody really was allowed to figure you out and then if they tried to um it was like it never just got to go through to what it needed to be to actually discover the disease Right. Until it was an emergency. Um, and that's when your dad took you yeah, to Yeah, he rushed emergency. me to Sir Memorial, and then they rushed me to um, Children's. Children's, And yeah. then I was I had surgery, I think, within three days, and then, because they did a CT scan, and then I was in the hospital for five weeks, because it was pretty intense. Uh, and... I went to school there. That was fun. Like, force you to go to school when you're... If, after it's kind of messed up. I know. After you have Give surgery, them a break, like, yeah. man. <laughs> because it was French immersion, so, like, he's not going to be able to graduate. He's not going to be able to graduate. Um, so he has to do his French schooling while he's here. He's not going to be able to go to the next year. He's going to be an idiot. <laughs> and so... Don't leave him yeah, yeah, I know. So they made me go to school. But then I developed... So that was amazing. Thank you to my surgeons who um, fixed me and... It made me not die, but and then I that, had. What was that actual issue? So it's called UPG. Yeah. Uh, it's like your kidney is um, too big for your body oh, okay. because the vessels that leave your kidney are um, closed. So one of them is called your ureter, mm-hmm. the one that goes to your bladder. Yep. That's literally closed, and so eventually they have to drain your kidney, shave off the gnarly bits. And then, because you have backflow of, of, of urine, it's mm-hmm. trying to leave your kidney, but it can't. Right. So your kidney just balloons. And so it gets so big that it's now pushing on everything else in your gut. Because right. uh, it's taking up so much room. And that's why you start feeling, like, stomach pain. And you're like, oh my god, why is my stomach hurting so much? So, which is why it threw people off. Right. It was like, I kept complaining about how much my stomach hurt. And... Um, because I wouldn't get typical kidney pain. And um, and so they have to clean all of that up, drain it, cut the bits that are all damaged, and then attach, reattach all of the um, vessels, vessels that are healthy-ended together. And so then all of that saves the day. But then after that, I had um, a lot of skin concerns, like really severe eczema, 
all over my face, on my mouth particularly, it was like real scabby, and then all over my left side of my body. And then I, for years, saw dermatologists, like specialists of all kinds, and I would just bathe in steroids, and just, you're a kid, and you're a teenager now, and you're like, what's wrong with my face? <laughs> like, yeah, get rid of this can crap. You fix my face? Yeah. And so you see anybody, because it's your face. And... And so I did it for a long time, and then I went to a live health food store in Surrey Place Mall, uh, and the woman was just like, oh, you should go see a naturopath. And I was like, a what? And she said, you need to go see a Don't eat grapes and go see a naturopath. So then I got introduced to what a naturopath was. And so the first one, there were three really formative naturopaths um, for me. One of them identified that my skin condition was connected to my kidney disease. Mm. In our medicine, like, your kidneys represent fear. Like, the the energy in the kidney is fear. Your liver is, like, anger. Your lungs are grief. And everything else has a specific emotion. But your kidneys are fear. So she basically asked, because it was on my mouth, Mm. what are you not saying? Like, what are you not expressing? Like, what are you afraid of not saying? And because it was on the left side of my body, that's the feminine side. It's the the yin and the yang, right? So, like, the yin is the left and the yang is the right. What are you not saying about the feminine side of yourself? Like, what are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a teenager, you're like, well, I'm gay, but I haven't told anybody yet, so... Right. Maybe that. Yeah, it could be. Does that, does yeah, that, does that make be. sense? <laughs> <laughs> so I went on a rampage. I just told everybody. I was, I just, I was like, are you serious? That's going to get rid of my skin problems? Let's do this. I walked out of there. I was like, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay, I'm gay. I'm gay. Everybody was like, I'm gay. And then I was like, okay, if that's going to heal this, no problem. Let's do it. And then within a couple of weeks, the left, all the terrible numular eczema on the left side of my body was gone. And I was like, oh my God, actually. And I went back to my dermatologist and I was like, oh my God, this is, this is amazing. And he was just like, oh my God. Um, looks like everything we've been doing up until this point working. is working. I was like, but it's been seven years. <laughs> like, why did all this yeah, in the last yeah. couple months? Huh? Oh, the UVB light treatment that you've been doing three times a week at the hospital has been working. And I was just like, I don't think so. So even as a teenager, you're like, oh, yeah, that doesn't add up. That doesn't make nice sense. Nice try. And then I went to SFU and I was enrolled in, you know, all the sciencey stuff, physics and crap. And so you did love sciences. Too, oh, I loved it. Loved it. Loved yeah. it. So that was always like a always. passion of yours. Yeah. Super, super. And then I went um, to a lunch and learn by, have you seen the Goop, uh, uh, Goop Lab? Goop Lab on Netflix? Mm-hmm. Did you see the one with the Nash bath on it? No, not yet. Okay, so she there's an episode with her, and she cool. does, like, facial stuff. She came and did a talk at SFU, and I went to it, and I was like, I love you, lady. You're amazing. I want to do what you do. Like, so, it spoke to you. You're oh, like, yeah, totally, that is totally. ding, ding, ding. How do I do what you do? And so then I changed my degree to not just be sciences, because naturopathic school needs you to have psychology and the humanities, so I had to add mm. things into it. And then I applied, got in, and then the rest was history. Awesome. I know. That's very cool. Yeah. So it was really your personal kind of health story that got you to here. I feel like a lot of people have that in medicine. I think uh, I do hear that. It's a, yeah. can be a common thread. Or I actually thought you might talk like think of it in terms of your mom as well. Because I know a lot of people, it'll yeah. be like a loved one. Who I, they've, you know what I mean, they've been interested in. I can't say that was the reason, like, an actual reason I thought of, like, oh, it's because of that. It just, all of it probably Come. led itself to me being, it, you you have to help. And I'm, I'm a pretty smart person, so I was like, I want to be able to help people, um, and I think I can do it. 
And so it wasn't just one of those, like, I want to help people. And so I think my own disease, my own experience, maybe what happens with my family members, all of that, I want to be able to, like, help figure people out. Absolutely. That's very cool. And when did you become passionate about women's health? And kind of why? I think always um, passionate about women. Uh, I think as a gay person, I think we have something that connects really well to women. And so we end up spending the most of our um, social time, our friendship time, our intimate time, our like close time with women growing up. We're mostly connected to, uh, this is obviously generalization, this is not every gay man in the world, (laughs) but we're mostly connected to women. And I think that nurtures a part of you that gets to thrive that wouldn't have if you didn't necessarily get that. And so I think... Part of us is so connected and we get to share in your experiences. We get to share in what it's like to be you and your world more than what it would be if we weren't. And so I think that that sets up the foundation. And then you get to learn like, oh my God, life sucks for you guys. It's like, I always say this to my partner. I'm like, you know, sometimes it's just like, it's just rough being a woman sometimes. Yeah, it is. It's just, yeah. And it's like back to what I said, that the systems that we have are stupid. And we have, and you know, we say things like there should be equal pay and equal, well, we say them and they don't exist yet. They don't exist yet. Like the number of health concerns and the number of time it takes, like there are certain examples, like it takes 10 or 11 years for a woman to be diagnosed with endometriosis. 10 or 11 years. Do you know how fast it takes a man to be diagnosed with literally anything? If he just showed up to the doctor's office, probably the next day. We'll be like, we know exactly what's going on with you. Let's take care of it all. But a woman takes forever to be diagnosed with anything. Why do you think that is? So take endometriosis as the example. So endo is particularly challenging because... Um, the, there's no true test for it except for an invasive test, like a laparoscope right. that has to go through your belly button and then they have to like look and see if it's there. And there's only really clinical signs that you can go off of menstrual pain, sometimes sort of digestive disturbances and pain with sex. Those are kind of like the three, but like what woman doesn't have menstrual pain? And so we've normalized menstrual pain to be able to not be able to distinguish it from a diseased version of menstrual pain because we dumb down women's experience. Like, oh, you have really bad cramps? Aww. Oh. Oh. Well. Put a water bottle in exactly. there. Move on. Exactly. Or take the birth control pill. Or just like, oh, you have bad menstrual cramps? Why are you on the pill? I just, I don't want to, I don't, do I have to? I don't, I don't want, I don't want to. Why wouldn't you want to? What's wrong with taking the birth control pill? I don't um, want to. Maybe I don't, I don't want, want to. to. And then so we force women into these corners of like, well, you didn't choose the pill. Therefore. So what would you like for us to do? Suck it up, sweetie. Yeah. What would you like for us to do? So that in and of itself tells you so much about the way we look. And then so 10 years from now when you want to try to have a baby, oh, you can't have a baby. I wonder what that was. Oh, it was the endo the entire time that we just told you to take the pill for or just told you to take Advil for every time? Suck it up. Suck it up. Suck it up, boo. But now that you want to conceive, now it's revealed. Okay, now we got to do something about it. That entire decade of that woman's life, gone, in pain, 
suffering from an autoimmune condition that you can do lots of things for. I was going to say, could have had a better quality of life. Yeah, like what is wrong with us? Yes, and I actually have heard that from a few um, like acquaintances and friends who were having trouble trying to conceive. And then they finally yeah. figure that out. And then you kind of hear some of the symptoms they've been having. And I'm like, well, that sounds terrible. <laughs> like, like, but then something allowed for you to think you couldn't do anything about it. Whatever that thing is, is the problem. So I think for when people are woke to that kind of stuff, how could you not want to be an advocate for women? And how could you not want to be an advocate for people who are like suffering from things that happen to be more often probably women because they're they're failed by a system so and then it even goes further like women of color and then like immigrant women like all this gets worse and worse and worse as you go down the sort of care ladder (laughs) like you know what I mean like it's terrible yeah so speaking about women who are trying to conceive because I think you see quite a lot of that um what are kind of some common threads you've seen and how do you kind of approach that? It's definitely changed in the last 10 years. So I've been practicing for mm-hmm. 13 years. Um, before it was like um, probably very specific to like a condition that prevented a woman from conceiving, whether it's like, or just made it more difficult. Mm-hmm. Like PCOS is a condition that's very common. Um, endometriosis is another one, maybe a, a genetic uh, problem of some kind. Right. Um, now it's m- much more about women's age. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the latest stat is the average women used to 20, 30 years ago conceive in early 20s, and now it's uh, mid-30s. Like it's 30, mm-hmm. 30, 33, I think, is the a- average age. I think I saw something very similar yeah. to that. So yeah. that is um, one of the factors that's related to why women are having trouble um, because age not that 33 is a problematic age for conceiving but if the average is 33 that means a bunch of women are trying to conceive the first Much time older. at 38 and 39 yeah. so that's not ideal um, but then the second thing is we have a generation of women and now a generation of men but a generation of women who in the 80s and 90s were told just go on the pill for no matter what problem you had. Cramps. Whatever. Irregular. Well, whatever. So you were told to go on the pill to regulate your period. That's not a period. Uh, The pill is a withdrawal bleed. It's not a real period. So um, you then have this entire generation of women who are now ready to come off their pill that they were put on when they were 15, 16, whatever it is, for to fix whatever that thing was. Acne. Oh, you have some breakouts. Put you on the pill. Literally. What the hell? Oh, my gosh. So all of these women who are then now ready to conceive, and they come off the pill and like, wait a minute, how come I don't have a period? How come it's, it hasn't come back in four months? Or how come... Um, I'm in so much pain or, and then all of these underlying conditions that were suggestive enough for the doctor to give them the pill in the first place are now revealing themselves as we're still here and we're going to hinder you from being able to conceive. And so we have four or five fertility clinics in our city fully booked months in advance because there's this generation of women trying to conceive who was failed again originally and compound that with um, age, and then we live in a really toxic environment. We have xenoestrogens, chemicals, plastics, 80s and 90s babies grew up on heated plastics, microwave plastics, 
all of the BPA and then we got rid of BPA and then we got BPS and now we're like, oh God, BPS is worse. And like, you know, those, everything, we're handling plastics, receipts and like retail people, like all of that kind of stuff. Plastic, plastic, plastic is another thing. And that's where male factor fertility comes in. A lot of men who are now, you know, 50 to 60% of the reason why um, a couple, if there's a couple mm-hmm. can't or is having trouble conceiving is because a lot of men are exposed to these same chemicals, mm-hmm. construction dust, any tradesmen, a lot of them have a lot of issues with their sperm motility and morphology and count because we're, we live in a very toxic environment. And so we're now, we're kind of learning about that because our planet is, you know, dying that we're like, oh, we should probably... Wait a minute. Yeah, pay attention to some of those things. (laughs) So yeah, multifactorial, but definitely rooted, I think, in those things. It's very interesting. I've always just been... I don't want to say against birth control pills, but I think once I did a bit of my own research, mm. and I've had an IUD mm. for quite a while now, I guess 10 years, basically. Mm. Um, and I think it was for me when I, because I had a similar experience where mm. they, I can't remember, I think I had cramps or something. So, you know, they put you on the birth control pill. Mm. And it, my skin went all weird. Mm. I was, like, having emotional regulation issues. And my instinct, I'm like, this isn't right. Yeah, right. And you know what they said? Well, maybe try this one instead. Yeah, right. Try another one, right? Yeah. So I tried, I think, three or four. Like, quite a few. Mm. And I was like, ah, no. No, no, not doing it. And that's when I, like, discovered IEDs. But I don't think my experience is the norm. I think... It's more that you just keep trying the pill. Yeah, totally. Totally totally. find one that's okay. Yeah, find one that's okay or okay enough that you still feel terrible, but that um, you're not getting the problem that you came in for. Just deal with, like, you've essentially traded issues now. Right. And maybe the issue that you've traded in, the side effect of the birth, and I'm in no way, I prescribe the pill all the time. It's a wonderful contraception tool. If a woman wants to go on birth control and she tolerates it well, amazing. But there's a lot of women who don't, and then we shouldn't force them to. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why the male pill, or whatever, the male version of that, has stalled for years. Yeah, it's, where is that thing? It exists. It just isn't, uh, it isn't available on the market because men won't tolerate the side effects. In study, men will not tolerate They're that. They're like, nope, not doing this. No, it gave me a headache. It's so interesting, because yeah, you're right. It gave me a headache. For two days, in the three weeks that I took it, no thank you. After this. And so it doesn't even get to market because they know men won't take it. That is wild. And I think that is actually a perfect example of what we were talking about Oh, my God. Like, whereas the women, like you said, it kind of puts it from being one problem, like cramps or whatever, shoves it to another symptom. But maybe that's a little little less offensive yeah. so you'll deal with the headaches every day yeah great like who wants to have headaches every day because we've normalized the fact that women get headaches and so why why can't you just deal with the fact that you have headaches more now that you're taking this thing oh. just deal <laughs> always the deal <laughs> now flipping for after because that's when i well no i started seeing you when i was pregnant actually yeah. but i know you see a lot of ladies when like after they've given birth mm. And I think I was kind of, like, shocked about how little I had thought about the postpartum period going into it. Like, I had done so much before. Mm. Like, I remember, like, talking to you, and you're like, so do you do this or this? And I'm like, yep, I go to acupuncture, I go to massage, (laughs) I do this, I I do this, I do that. Like, I literally am doing all the things. And then it's like, what what are you doing after? And I had, like, nothing. And it's, like, such... 
it's such a crazy time. And I think from all the women you've worked with, what would you say are like the best tips for caring for themselves postpartum? That's such an interesting, I actually haven't thought of it the way you just said it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like how front loaded um, the work is for being, getting pregnant and being pregnant. Like, mm-hmm. it's so heavy. It's so heavy. And then you add to it, like, I did not have trouble conceiving. Yeah, right. So you add yeah, to right, it, like, right. I did not even have that portion. Yeah. You add to it women who, I know it's been years until they actually get pregnant. So there's all that work. And then I think a lot of people, not ignore, but you don't even give that same um, care to the postpartum. Because you know what? It doesn't have to do with the baby as much yeah, anymore. Right. It's just the woman. Yeah, right. That's kind of how I... Not I haven't thought of it that way, but it's probably a hundred percent what it is. Um, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the effort is to try to conceive. I think the thing that's lets that be a thing is um, that we've somehow gotten to a place in our on our culture, our medical culture and society, where women automatically think they're going to have a hard time conceiving mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they know somebody or they know a couple girlfriends or they like heard stories or there's an energy about the challenge of conception that it's not going to be easy. So they are like, okay, I'm going to start getting ready a year before and I'm going to try to do other things. And so there's a fear there. But that the thing that I really didn't think about was after you've had the baby, it's like, who cares about the mom anymore? Literally. <laughs> Good luck, bitch. Like, Good like, fucking luck. <laughs> and that's why there's like this... Um, kind of quote I guess you could say or sentiment of like everyone wants to hold the baby but like Mm. who wants to hold the mom yeah true and it's like the baby the baby's trying to hold the mom (laughs) trying no but I think for me some things that I did help is seeing people like you Mm. after who are like you know healers in their own right and can help you through things but I don't know if you've noticed any like I don't know specific things that seem to help women postpartum the most important is probably and this is kind of newer um the the most important is that prior to delivery no matter what version of delivery that is Mm -hmm. if it's c-section or or vaginal delivery that um women know that they are um have the opportunity to talk to somebody afterwards and it doesn't have to be like this first and second midwife check and then bounce or we're out like there are professionals that can help coach um to lay the framework and of the kinds of things you need to be asking because i I don't know if there's one particular thing Mm -hmm. it's probably just talk to me about what's going on and then we can figure out all the things that you can do to help support you ask who are your supports do you have supports because there's so many, like, we also have so many constructs in the way we live now that you already have so many stresses, and now you added a child. Especially if it's your, never mind if it's your first, then you have two, and then, then you have these two beings that you have to make sure live and, like, live well. Like, that's so stressful. Yes. That's so stressful. And so we have to nurture these women in these times because if there's an issue with... um breastfeeding Mm -hmm. talk to somebody about it um if there's pressure about the success of breastfeeding talk to somebody about it because there's so much that we're told 
that add to the stress is like you must be breastfeeding and if you aren't you're an evil witch and you know talk to people about it who are like not going to have that kind of attitude and put more pressure on on you um or if you're dealing with mastitis or if you're dealing with um um the health of your sex life afterwards your libido your mood um postpartum is something that we throw around a lot um and a lot of women after they have a baby think oh it's not postpartum bad right you know what i don't feel well but it's not like i want to throw my baby off a bridge Laugh, but I, no. <laughs> I, know, I know what you're saying. So they yeah. say they think that it has to go to that level in order for them to feel like they weren't talking yes. to somebody or get care. I don't think it's so. such a good point though because um, my friend Ashley, who was on the podcast as well, mm. and she had postpartum depression, but that was something that we talked about in that like I did not have postpartum depression, yeah, but I had a lot of big feelings that I had a hard time dealing with yeah. like regret yeah um so i went to see a counselor yeah great um but we were talking about how it's va- back to the point about like women's health like it's valid yeah whether you just kind of feel shitty yeah. or whether you want to throw your baby off the bridge yeah. like all those feelings in between there's people who can help you yeah we we can't just medicalize every moment in a person's life and decide if you crossed a threshold that that's the only time that you warrant any kind of support no you you uh, give that baby to anybody else, and then let's see how they do. Let's like let's just give that baby to anybody else. Never mind the fact that they didn't deliver that child or have that pregnancy. But like the stresses of that are incredible, and we have to honor that that is the way things are, and that women aren't expected to be these robotic. Um, just completely able to handle all the things that come because they're they're the ones that had this baby, that they should have this talent all of a sudden to do and know everything. And if they don't, like, shame her. Like, she's a terrible mother. Yeah, shame terrible. her. Terrible mother. <laughs> <laughs> so something else I was curious to ask you about, because we are kind of in the throes of, like, I guess hopefully it's the end of it, but... Of, like, flu season. Mm. So, why does it seem to be worse as a parent? Like, I feel like I get sick easier. Yeah. And I have heard this from other people. Is this, is there, like, some science behind that? Yeah, uh, there's no, I don't think there's any science that says that a, that a new parent is going, if their immune system is any more... Uh, is weaker. Weaker so, in so, any so way. Speak, yeah. There's some funny ideas about a pregnant woman also having a weaker immune system, which isn't mm. really true. That's not really true. There's like, some myths about that. Yeah, like, could you imagine if pregnancy was a weakened state of immunity, that why would our body allow for us into, in the most precious time that we need to be our, our most well, it'd be like, you about to get pneumonia, boo. Good <laughs> luck. That, that doesn't happen. Yeah. So you keep sort of, growing that yeah. human and then deal with that pneumonia. So there are things that happen with your immune system, but you're not necessarily more susceptible to really okay. things. And that, that, that sort of extends into the postpartum time. Uh, you're just more likely to be exposed to... Um, viruses and bacteria through the fact that other people with their small children are now exposing you to their petri dish kids. 
<laughs> so you have a Petri dish kid. They have Petri dish kids, which is wonderful because they should be, like, get them dirty. It's get them super dog, just dirty. There's a 36% allergy rate in North America in children. It used to be five. Because of the bubble children. Oh, bubble babies. And mm-hmm. uh, they're in uh, in parts of the world that have... Oh, I forget the country. I forget the country. We but, talked about this, too. Yeah. Oh, There's a part of the world that they... Um, oh, no. It's not a part of the world. It's um, Amish people. Amish mm. people have, like, really early food introduction at, like, five months when it's safe to do so, and they, like, expose their kids to all kinds of crap and, like, manure and, like, just shit, 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 shit. And they have a rate of allergies of 1% or less. Versus, what do you say, ours is? 36. 36. Excuse me? Like, think about that. If you have 100 Amish kids, one of them is going to have an allergy. If you have 100 non-Amish kids, 36 of them have allergies? What is happening? It's not right. So Petri dish kids are making you sick. They're making um, other people sick. The, their germs are now cross-sickening other people. Parents hang out with each other. <laughs> They're going to daycares now. And, like, all of that stuff is... Factors in. Is factored in. Yeah. But that doesn't mean you can't do anything about it. Like, my, you know, four rules are um, wash your hands a lot. Um, or sanitize with your favorite thing. Mine is Dr. Bronner's hand sanitizer. Spray, 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 lavender. And then um, don't touch your face. You just touched your face. <laughs> it's my hairline. Still. <laughs> we involuntarily touch our faces 700 times a day, so it's a hard thing to do. But yeah, if you reduce the number of times you... Like, I, I've gotten so used to using my sleeves and my collar to touch my face that I I look like this, like, I don't know, rain man kind of person sometimes where I'm just like, yeah, I just don't touch your face. And then third, use zinc. Zinc is one of the most evident things you can use to help prevent getting ill, your children getting ill. There are different dosages for all that kind of stuff, but that's a really important thing. Um, and then you can... Um, st- stress. Like, the more stressed you are, the more likely your immune system is going to be like, I don't know what's happening here. Like... Stress and it's like food stress, like sugar, um, exercise stress, not exercising, um, life stress. Work stress. Am I going to work uh, six weeks after I've had this kid? You know what I mean? Those kinds of things. Like so, it's a yeah, it's a recipe. Those are great tips, though. Yeah, and I remember you told me the face one, and I have to say, I know you just caught me touching my face, <laughs> but I am now like you, where I like us- usually I'll use like if my nose is itchy, yeah. I'll literally be like. If I don't have a tissue, yeah. I'll, like, use my sleeve. Yeah, totally. That's what it's there for. I'm like, it's itchy. Yeah. Don't touch it. Do you remember our, like, grade two teacher who used to just have her f- blouse sleeve full of napkins or tissues just ready to go because she didn't want to? She was smart. She knew what she was doing. She was Mrs. figuring that out. Mrs. Harkis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so last question here. Uh, this was from a listener. They were wondering, and these are, of course, general tips, mm. but what are some tips for women with regards to improving their gut health? Like generally or like pregnancy or... General. Oh. Um, ooh, good one. Um, I know it's of course... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah it can yeah. be, you know... Well, specific, one, but. if you have something that's going on with your gut, please talk to somebody about it. Um, don't let it go on and just be one of those women we're talking about who's just like, I'm good! Because um, you're not. Uh, two... Uh, the m- most common food culprits, um, there are two groups. One of them are FODMAPs foods. 
So FODMAPs foods are highly fermentable foods that make women or people bloated, um, tough to digest. So sometimes that's an easy experiment to just have a couple weeks of eating that style and then seeing if it makes a difference. And then if it does, and it's like, wait a minute, do I have a bug problem? Um, three, uh, if it's something to do with stress um, or there's a symptom of your gut, like loose stools or I have um, offensive gas or something, mm-hmm. then those are the kinds of things that sometimes probiotics can be particularly helpful for. A lot of people just go and pick up random probiotics. There are certain strains that are particularly helpful um, and there's no harms unless you have an immune compromised situation like you're on chemotherapy or you have HIV or AIDS. But for everybody else, you can basically go pick up some bifidobacterium species mm-hmm. and those are very healthy to recolonize your gut and help to make sure that you're not um, allowing the wrong strains to grow. But if that doesn't work, even as a one-shot thing, then just talk to somebody about it uh, because there might be something underlying. But yeah, those are probably my most commonly given advices to people about the first things they can do to figure mm-hmm. out what's happening with their with their gut or to keep it strong. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I want to thank you so much oh, you for, for sharing and taking the time. Me. Of course. <laughs> I think um, you have so much knowledge and it's so amazing to get a little a little bit of that knowledge. And I just really respect your um, the way that you care about women and women's health. It's really, really amazing. So thank you so much. Thank you. I like I'll, my last thing. I'll just be like the reason and for everybody. So we have to keep this to heart. Like. I really believe if women ran the show, like, we would be fine. Like, if we... We would be. I know we would be. And I think that we've lost, I think, some of whatever that is that allows for us to see how powerful you are as the way you're... You have gifts that I think men don't have. And I think those gifts are really important those intuitive gifts and the connected gifts to other people that would be really helpful to make us not have problems. And so we have to prop women up. we got to really prop you guys up and support whatever causes that come. And there's always something to make it so that life is better for the majority of our earthly population. You're the most... Oh, thanks. Love it. Thank I'll you. just take that to heart. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you Thank so you. much. Yes, of course. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Cool Mom 101 with Emily Kylo. If you liked our podcast, please be sure to leave a comment or review and be sure to tune in next time.